0: Hello and welcome everyone to our first World at Work podcast for the year. My name is Stephen Woodbury and today we are looking at an area of great interest for many employers, that being the regulation and protection of whistleblowers, that is people wanting to make a complaint or bring information to light about a person or organisation which usually detrimentally affects that person or organisation. we'll be looking at recent legal developments in the area and the issues which employers need to be mindful of when dealing with whistleblower complaints and as always joining me to take us through the area from their perspective are Andreas Morrischa from Frankfurt, Christina Grande from our Madrid office, Uriel Pariente from Paris, Crowley Woodford from our London practice and Karen Mitra from Singapore. Before turning to our panelists, I'll just touch on a few issues from Australia where we've had new whistleblower laws in place since 2019, and an issue that we've seen arise quite frequently concerns protection of the whistleblower's identity and the impact of that on conducting an investigation. And essentially, this issue can arise where uh, an employer is investigating a complaint, uh, and they're seeking not to disclose a whistleblower's identity, but they do so in the course of the investigation because they disclose information that may lead to the identification of the whistleblower, for example, because the information was only known to that particular person or they were the only person present at a particular incident. Now, an employer can actually disclose information of that nature where it is reasonably necessary in order to investigate the matter, and the employer has taken all reasonable steps to reduce the risk that the whistleblower will be identified as a result of the disclosure. But what we've found is sometimes an employer finds it quite tricky in navigating uh, precisely that issue and has a lack of understanding or appreciation uh, as to the confidentiality that is required and the sensitivity of dealing with the information that is available. Similar issues have also arisen in relation to external whistleblowing Uh, receipt technology which sometimes has not been configured appropriately in order to generate responses for dealing with whistleblower complaints um, in a timely manner when they have been made or they're not tailored appropriately and that has often led to reports not being managed correctly or in a timely manner and finally we've also seen uh, particularly in relation to whistleblowing complaints relating to historical matters that the absence of data or challenges in obtaining data or records in relation to those historical matters uh, have been quite challenging from the perspective of then conducting an investigation uh, and often led to uh, employers not being proactively dealing with these issues and anticipating them, leading again to delays and complications in actually managing the substance of the whistleblowing complaint itself. Now, with that, it's time to turn to Europe, And many of our listeners will be aware of the introduction of the new uh, EU whistleblower directive in December 2021 and the fact that European countries are now looking to implement the directive under their own laws. So it's instructive to see what the new directive provides and how countries are grappling with it. And I'll start with Germany and ask Andreas whether you can give us a bit of an overview of the directive and the attitude of the German government so far to it.
1: Thanks, Stephen. Happy to do that. So let me start with a quick run through the key points. Uh, of the directive. Um, it's indeed groundbreaking in, in some aspects, will change the legal landscape as regards whistleblowing. Generally, it provides just the minimum standards of protection for whistleblowers who report. Breaches of the EU law, that's important. The directive just covers uh, breaches of EU law. National laws may obviously gold play this, and many member states have done that to cover also breaches of national law. Um, It will apply on a broad scale to all companies after expiry of certain grace periods uh, who have more than 50 employees. They must all establish uh, a whistleblowing system and set up a dedicated internal resource that will be handling any complaints coming through. It has a very wide scope of application for protection of whistleblowers, so the systems must be open to anybody with a work-based relationship to the company. So that is interpreted wide and covers employees, subcontractors, suppliers, shareholders and and basically any any party that could be viewed to have a work-based relationship. The reporting channels must be secure and allow for oral uh, and written reports. So that will probably uh, require a professional system is used, internet-based. We all know the players on the market, uh, but it's probably not possible to meet the requirements with something really homemade. Then, obviously, the core point is protection of whistleblowers against any form of retaliation. There's the obvious uh, uh, retaliation, of course, dismissal, suspension, any other uh, measures, disciplinary measures. But it also covers any covered uh, form of retaliation. So, you know, saying bad things on social media or the or the like. And of course, it it will have teeth. The member states have to uh, impose effective penalties and sanctions. Uh, for any company that you know doesn't play and doesn't establish uh, a system or then um, doesn't effectively protect the whistleblowers. You also mentioned um, that governments are sort of uh, um, grappling with it and and that's correct in particular for us in Germany. We haven't yet implemented the directive. Uh, so we're facing an infringement proceeding because of that. And we expect that our new government will get this uh, implementation act out uh, in the course of Q2, Q3 at the latest.
0: Thanks, Andreas. That's very interesting. And uh, we might actually turn now to Spain and Cristina, just to see how the Spanish government has been dealing with it. And I understand they might be a bit more advanced than the Germans on this one.
2: The point is that uh, in uh, Spain, the the transposition of the directive has not been implemented yet. So nowadays, there is just a preliminary draft of the whistleblowing law approved by the Council of Ministers at the beginning of March. It will be probably sent uh, to the parliament as an urgent law. However, at this stage, it is difficult to estimate uh, whether the the new law will be uh, enacted. But as per our experience, it would run about uh, four or six months. The main differences included in this preliminary draft would be that it imposes the obligation to set out internal information systems, irrespective of the number of employees, to all political parties, trade unions, employers' organizations, and foundations, whenever they have received public funds. It also extends the protection of informants and against retaliation not only to informants but also to any individual connected to informant, such as other work colleagues or relatives, uh, also extends the protections uh, to candidates in selection procedures and to former employees. It creates independent authority for the protection of the whistleblower as an independent public law body who will be the one managing the external communications channel. It will also impose sanctions and evaluate the reductions of any sanction, and it could also decide to terminate the investigations. Concerning the penalties... The preliminary draft establishes that in case of rates of the obligations, the administrative fines will run from 100,000 euros for minor offenses, 600,000 euros for serious ones, and 1 million euros in case of very serious offenses, when the offender is a legal entity. In case of individuals, the administrative fines runs from 5,000 euros to 300,000 euros. Finally, uh, we need to bear in mind that accessory fines could be also imposed in case of very serious offences such as public reprimands or provision for obtaining subsidies or tax benefits and also for example a provision from contracting with a, with a public service.
0: Thanks Christina it's very interesting it's uh, good to see a, a sort of a progression from Germany up to Spain you've got uh, proposed legislation and now we'll we'll turn to Paris and, and in France, Muriel, the French, uh, I understand, have decided to extend their existing laws by the transposition of the directive. Is that right?
3: Yeah, that's right, Stephen. Firstly, concerning the legislation process, it's important to say that the law transposing the directive was implemented 10 days ago. It was in 20 March 2020, so it's really recent in France and will apply from 1 September 2022. Prior to the publication of the Directive, French law provided that disclosure only concerned the commission of a crime, an offense, a serious and manifest breach of international obligations, or the threat of serious harm to the public interest. The new legislation on whistleblower is even more binding than the Directive, as it has significantly extended the material scope of the report. Now, the slightest breach of any employer's obligation may give rise to report, even if this breach is not so serious. According to the new French legislation, a breach to union law, an international commitment, or an unilateral act of an international organization, a law, a regulation, a threat or prejudice to general interest, could lead to report from an employee, which is really large. And this will oblige employers to be cautious and to comply with legislation in order to avoid a report. And I guess it will be very, very difficult for companies in France to respect this new law with this material scope of the report, which is really large.
0: And Muriel, are you expecting then companies, organizations then to actually start to recruit or to actually increase the number of people who have to investigate and deal with complaints or claims?
3: For sure. We have already uh, clients who who just want to know exactly how will be, what they have to do. Indeed, there will be really implication. And I think it will reorganize labor law in France.
0: Thank you, Muriel. That's very interesting. And then are we going to continue the trajectory uh, embracing the Directive Crowley over in the UK? Uh,
4: sadly not, Stephen. As per usual, the UK is following its own path. As a result of Brexit, the UK now doesn't have to implement the Directive. But that's not to say it's the end of the story in the UK. It will still be relevant for our UK clients that have European subsidiaries, Certainly, they will need to review their current whistleblowing policies in light of both the directive and the UK's whistleblowing regime, primarily to ensure that the policies are going to be compliant across the board. Depending on the jurisdiction in which they operate, clients will definitely be going through the process of weighing up the pros and cons of whether to adopt uh, separate policies for each subsidiary, or adopt a more sort of pan-European or or indeed global policy.
0: Thanks, Crowley. So they still pull you back in, even though you're trying to get out Is that the moral of that one?
4: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> There's an irony in there somewhere.
0: Yeah. And finally, let's jump over to the other side of the world, uh, into the, the Asia-Pacific region, and we've got Karen Mitra uh, to talk about Singapore and the status of whistleblowing laws in Singapore. Karen, what's the picture there?
5: Yeah, thanks, Stephen. We actually don't have dedicated whistleblowing legislation in Singapore, and certainly nothing as broad and and as as complex as the EU directive or or even the legislation uh, that exists in Australia. Instead, we kind of have this patchwork-like set of protections that are afforded to whistleblowers that... Relate to things like corruption, and they're set out kind of across various pieces of legislation. And really, they focus more on anonymity uh, and potential protection from from criminal prosecution, rather than the broad scope of protections that the EU directive would. Specifically with respect to the workplace, though, which is probably what a lot of people are more interested in right now, um, we do think that's going to change. So the Minister of State for Manpower has actually publicly stated that the government really wants to include some specific protection for whistleblowers in the context of the workplace and and kind of particularly in the context of people making workplace complaints um, more generally. The workplace already takes, the regulators already take uh, the view that it's unfair to dismiss an employee because they've made a workplace complaint, whether that be about their personal treatment or kind of um, unlawful or, or other illegal action with respect to employees more generally. And while there is no dedicated legislation, we see some employees making those types of claims in the context of kind of broader contractual disputes. I do think that we're going to see more on this very, very soon. Most likely that type of legislation will be kind of wrapped up in uh, the anti-discrimination legislation uh, that's due to be introduced in the next couple of years. So definitely a watch this space.
0: Uh, And Karen, in relation to multinationals who have employees, resident in Singapore, etc., do you anticipate or is it currently the case that those companies by and large have their own internal policies akin to whistleblower laws with that which they would apply already?
5: Yeah, absolutely, and particularly for for MNCs, we we tend to see a, a global approach when it comes to a lot of their policies. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, in the same way that we saw a lot of uh, MNCs kind of apply the GDPR type provisions uh, to their subsidiaries or their their operations in Singapore just for ease, it might be that they they adopt some kind of similar global policy uh, with respect to whistleblowing um, in Singapore as well. It's it's definitely a kind of a safer and easier approach for a lot of companies I think you just really need to be aware of the specifics in in that jurisdiction and well that policy is probably fine to implement but are there any any particular quirks in that in that jurisdiction that your HR team and your compliance team need to be aware of that that you might have to operate a little bit differently on a day-to-day level.
0: Yeah thanks Karen and that's a, a nice segue into the second part of our podcast where we're going to Just look at some of the issues that the whistleblowing laws have been throwing up in in each of our jurisdictions for employers to to grapple with, and we might start with you, Karen, and work our way back. What what are some of the the considerations which employers based in Singapore need to have in relation to the the whistleblower principles, laws which might be be coming up and just more generally dealing with, with those types of workplace type complaints?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, in Singapore, particularly, um, it's that question of, of we, we do see a lot of HR teams here who, who are responsible for managing a lot of different countries with very, very different regimes, uh, not only from the employment perspective, but but just kind of on every facet, really. So it's really being aware of of what are the specifics in a particular country and how are you going to deal with complaints that have a cross-border element. So if the complaint comes from an employee in Australia and it's about something that happened in Singapore with a manager in Germany, how are you going to deal with that? And have you really thought that through with your compliance team or what are the various triggers and what are the various obligations you might have in that scenario? I think it's for Singapore specifically um one thing, particularly financial services companies to to really be thinking about is we have some very broad mandatory reporting obligations when it comes to to matters that might involve corruption. Uh, And so I think that's something to be really aware of, of, well, okay, you might have all these secrecy provisions. You might have kind of competing obligations when it comes to keeping things secret. uh, But also, do you have a, a local obligation to kind of make a report?
0: Yeah, thanks, Karen. That's a really interesting point, actually. And we might work our way back then to Crowley. And just wondering if you could give us bit of a rundown of the UK's whistleblowing regime and some comparisons with the directive.
4: Yeah, thanks, Stephen. So the UK legislation already provides some pretty broad protection for whistleblowers. There's a provision that effectively says that any dismissal caused by uh, a protected disclosure by a whistleblower will be automatically unfair. And the legislation goes further. And says that as well as dismissal, any detriment that's caused by or connected with a whistleblower and a protected disclosure would also be subject to protection by the legislation. The key, I think, to understanding the UK landscape for whistleblowing is in the definition of protected disclosure. Whistleblowing is considered protected if a worker discloses information The worker has a reasonable belief that disclosure is in the public interest and information is disclosed to specified persons, such as, of course, the employer and certain prescribed external bodies. And that disclosure has to relate to six kinds of relevant failure. Those relevant failures are are probably as you would expect, but primarily are breaches of a legal obligation or for example, dangers to health and safety. And the requirement that workers only need a reasonable belief can be tricky under UK law, because we as lawyers are very familiar with the concept of uh, objective tests or reasonableness. But here, it's whether the whistleblower subjectively believes that a breach has occurred Uh, And that it doesn't matter if that belief later turns out to be wrong. Another thorny issue is that the public interest angle to any whistleblowing. uh, And the origins of that date back to when whistleblowing was first introduced into the UK, where we had a raft of claims related to breaches of individuals' own contracts of employment, which was not obviously the intent of the legislation so the government changed tax slightly in its legislation and introduced this public interest aspect to it but the courts have interpreted that again very broadly in favour of the whistleblower and so provided the protected disclosure has a, a dimension beyond the individual then the, the whistleblowing legislation and the public interest test will be satisfied. Now that I've sort of giving you a flavour of what the UK position is like, probably finish with just some brief comparisons between the UK and the directive requirements. So similar to the directive, the the UK regime covers agency staff, home workers, former workers. Additionally, both regimes have penalties for non-compliance and in the UK, Uh, Beyond that automatic unfair dismissal I talked about, the compensation that could be awarded is potentially uncapped um, and will be based on the employee's actual financial loss. Uh, In contrast to the UK legislation, the directive also sets out time limits, which need to be built into internal reporting channels. Those sort of time limits are not prescribed under UK law. And this might be a particular area where clients' current procedures are not compliant with the directive, and that harmonisation of, you know, pan-European or global policies that we mentioned before, that will definitely be an area that ne- will need to be reviewed by clients.
0: Yeah, thanks, Crowley. I mean, just from what you've said, there's a lot for UK-based employers who operate onto the continent to consider here. It's not just a case of just applying a, a, yeah, a policy and or um, following the uk uk laws it's, it is just going to be quite a, a detailed and intricate web for them to navigate through by the sound of it uh let's go back to muriel and and to paris muriel i was just wondering the concept of a facilitator seems to have come up in uh the french law and i that just sounds rather dystopian to me i'm not exactly sure what that role is but can you just shed some light on that?
3: As you know, the directive has introduced the status of facilitators defined as a natural person who assists a reporting person in the reporting process in a work related contest. France has planned to apply this status not only to natural persons but also to non profit legal entity under private law. It means that organisations, associations and union can also benefit from the legal protection of whistleblowers. France has decided to protect legal entities who play a role in relaying the disclosure from criminal and civil liability, considering the assistance provided to the reporting person. With this new status of facilitators, the whistleblower will no longer be isolated. But it creates a lot of issues. French companies will have to deal with a significant increase In the number of reports and protected person. The risk is that companies risk finding themselves in a situation where the entire workforce is protected under whistleblower protection, preventing the employer from dismissing an employee in connection with the report. Because contrary to the UK, it's not okay that you can dismiss someone and then it's damages for unfair dismission. In France, you can't dismiss this person. Uh, It's not possible. In practice, the employee will not hesitate to challenge his or her dismissal by indicating that in reality, the dismissal was not based on a personal or an economic ground, but the dismissal was based to the disclosure. Indeed, if the dismissal is reclassified by the judge as null and void, the employee will be able to benefit from a more favorable compensation. Employees therefore have an economic interest invoking the nullity of the dismissal. However, some questions remain unanswered. What type of assistance allows the employee to benefit from facilitator status? How long does the protection last? We will have to wait for the publication of a decree to have more information on the implementation of this law. One thing is certain, as I said before, The overall transportation of the directive will really modify the French Labour Law.
0: Yeah, thanks, Miriam. That's really interesting in terms of that expansion, that move of the protection across to other people who are assisting others. Presumably, what you're saying there is that there could be some room for people to tactically use that protection, to um, use it as a shield against disciplinary action against them or or other, other action an employer might wish to take in relation to what they might consider to be frivolous or uh disclosures without substance so that, that will be interesting to see how that unfolds
3: yeah they will use it for sure i can tell you
0: okay thanks muriel uh and let's let's go to spain and christina i know in terms of the proposed legislation that has been handed down there seems to be a lot of issues for employers to be grappling with and i was just wondering if you could take us through two or three of those
2: the, in Spain, the main challenge will be those concerning the protections against retaliation. Also in Spain, employees are already protected against retaliation according to Spanish constitution. And also the Workers' Statute qualifies null and void any dismissal due to retaliation, which in practice would imply that the employees could be entitled to be reinstated in the previous job position, be paid their salaries accrued as from the effective date of the dismissal up to the date they are restated. And in addition, they may be entitled to a damages compensation. However, with the, the preliminary law, the temporal scope of the protection against retaliation is extended to two years. So, as in the case of France, in practice, this would definitely imply that any decision taken by employers affecting any whistleblower within such period will have to be duly justified. For example, in case of a dismissal, modification of working conditions, uh, even a lack of promotion, for example, in case of a judicial procedure, the burden of the proof to justify that the relevant decision is not related to the claim, but to objective grounds will rely on the employer. In addition, this retaliation covers not only the the informants, but also other individuals connected to the informant, work colleagues or relatives. So in practice, there are many scenarios can arise. For example, in the selection procedure where a candidate is relative of the informant who at the end is not hired, or a close friend of the informant who an self-employee but is not promoted. So we... Anticipate that also near Spain, there will be an increase in judicial claims in this regard, since besides in Spain, employment jurisdictions for employees is free. So the employers could face not only the obligation to reinstate the employees in their previous employment conditions, but also uh, they could face uh, fines, uh, administrative fines related to the uh, infringement of the whistleblower, so whistleblowing obligations. Other challenges for uh, employers in Spain would be that related to also false allegations, uh, as you said, uh, using this tool to be covered against any uh, decision taken that may be taken by employers. So it is true that in Spain so collective bargaining agreements already include uh, sanctions in this regard, but I think that it is a key uh, that employers must leave it clear that false allegations or claims could lead to, to disciplinary sanctions and uh, even dismissal.
0: Mm, thanks, Christina. Yeah, that's very interesting. The consequences obviously can be quite severe for employers that, that uh, get it wrong, so to speak, as a legislation is implemented. Uh, and let's just turn back to Andreas now. Uh, and Andreas, we've heard obviously about these laws applying across different countries in Europe, uh, the EU directive. And I was just wondering, from your perspective, what are some of the issues that are likely to pop up, both from an implementation point of view and a systems point of view as well?
1: Yeah, thanks, Stephen. That's that's indeed going to be a challenge. As we know from our internationally acting clients, they typically have a, a, a group-wide system set up. Karen mentioned it. Now that may require a bit of an adjustment. The EU Commission has clarified last year that the Directive requires that any larger affiliates within a group, so 250 or more employees, must roll out their own local whistleblowing system. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that there can't be an overarching group-wide system that can be kept in parallel, but it has to be able either by tenant ability, Or um, there has to be a separate system which provides for a decentralized local reporting channel that does not apply for smaller affiliates so uh, affiliates with less than 250 employees may share central resources, obviously relevant where parents share uh, investigation teams or or other uh, overhead functions so. What's the EU Commission's view on on how to practically handle these investigations, which which are cross-jurisdictional in their impact? In any case, the Commission wants that such investigations are conducted by by a dedicated central body, but the whistleblower has to be informed in advance that because of this cross-jurisdictional impact, their data and their report will be forwarded. Uh, and uh, we have to obtain their consent. So if that consent isn't given, it's a bit questionable still whether the whistleblower should be able to withdraw their report uh, or request that the matter is handled on a local level. So we see there's still uh, some potential for significant impact on existing systems there. To finish, I think the keys for the successful implementation of the directive in a group context uh, are the following first of all all of our clients should consider what uh, adjustments they need to make to their existing uh, reporting channel what dedicated central and decentral resources need to be set up we need to be prepared for the situations of local investigation requests as we just discussed so there might be adjustments in, in, in headcount and resource allocation required. Second, I think the procedures need to be flexible. Uh, in particular, any, any platforms we use, they have to be able to cater for gold plating in, in the specific regions, particular, of course, the EU member states. We've heard from uh, Muriel how gold plating might have significant impact on how a procedure has to be done in the member state yeah and that eventually again leads to having a state-of-the-art platform that allows you to comply with the with the privacy restraints but also enables you within the limited wiggle room that the directive leaves us to use resources in a smart way whistleblowing is resource intensive uh, and it's cost intensive, but that means you, we, we need to play it smart to you know be efficient and cost sensitive at the same time.
0: Yeah, thanks, Andreas. And yeah, we'll look forward with interest to uh, when the German government starts to tackle the issue in terms of some actual legislation as well. But thank you for those comments. And now wrapping up in Australia, one recent development has been the release of a report called the Respect at Work report, which has been released range of recommendations for the government to consider. They relate to workplace behaviour and harassment uh, and have raised an awareness of the issue and the fact that employers and organisations have to deal with matters that come to their attention. And this increased awareness is resulting in greater numbers of complaints, investigations and disciplinary actions as well. And it is something which many employers are having to grapple with in terms of their resourcing and in seeking specialist advice. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for with this podcast. Can I first thank our panellists again for their thoughtful and thought-provoking comments on what is a growing and increasingly difficult area for employers. And also thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. I hope you found the discussion interesting and useful and of assistance in managing whistleblower issues in your organisation. Until our next World at Work podcast, I'm Stephen Woodbury, wishing you all the best and bye for now.